Welcome back. We're going to continue with uh, the session on looking at the hadith of or sayings of Muhammad. And again, I just want to reiterate that we are being polemicists on, and in some sense, we're not actually being polemicists, i.e. challenges of Islam. We're actually just reading the Islamic texts and allowing the texts to speak for themselves. We're reading the sayings and the hadith of Muhammad and then just letting you, and of course, if you're going to now share this with your Muslim friend, um, just letting your Muslim friend come to their own conclusions. When you just ask questions, what does this say about the prophet of Islam? What does this say about the theology of man and woman? What does this say about the nature and character of the God of Islam? And then unpack that with Muslims so they begin to question their own their own authorities, their own sources. So we're getting back into Sunan Abu Dawood and we're looking at book 12. And in book 12 of this hadith, um, it gives us a story it's quite an interesting story, and it's quite a sad story, actually. It says, Habiba, daughter of Sal, don't worry about the, the names, it's just, it's just part of the story, was the wife of um, Thabit Kais Shimas. He beat her and broke some part of her. And that's all it says. And in fact, a lot of the hadith and sayings and even histories of Islam are a little bit ambiguous and a little bit hard to figure out exactly what they're referring to and exactly what they're saying possibly because they're trying to water down the, how severe this is. And remember, when something is translated out of the Arabic into your languages, if it's not an Arabic language, it often is softened to make it not quite so serious. And the Arabic is often far more severe and, and quite difficult um, to stomach when you, when you look at its details. In the English, it says, he beat her and broke some part of her. So she came to the prophet, and of course, all the way through here, whenever it says prophet, peace be upon him, peace be upon him, I'm not going to say that. She came to the prophet after mourning and complained to him against her husband. The prophet called on Thabit ibn Qais and said to him, take part of her property and separate yourself from her. So, so they're talking about uh, separating um, from each other. He asked, is that right, apostle of Allah? He, referring to the apostle of Allah, said, yes. He said, I have given her two gardens of mine as a dower, and they are already in her possession. The prophet said, take them and separate yourself from her. So this is a girl who has been beaten, and then um, he, they're talking about the possession, and as a bridal bride price, she'd been given um, two gardens. And what does Muhammad say? He says to the man, take the two gardens you gave her and separate yourself from her. Again, why is he not helping her and protecting her who was beaten by the husband and making sure she had some form of possession to look after herself? Very interesting story there. Then another one from um, book 12 of Abu Dawood says, The prophet said, if any woman asks her husband for a divorce without some strong reason, the odor of paradise will be forbidden to her. So it's the idea that she will not enter into paradise unless if she has a, a, a reason, not a very good reason to divorce the husband. And again, I ask Muslim friends, when I look at um, hadith and, and, and ideas like this throughout Islamic literature, why is a woman's final destination, her eternity judged in her relationship with her husband? I don't know if you recall the hadith we've, we've mentioned in earlier sessions where we showed how um, a woman is um, in hellfire because she is ungrateful to her husband. Why is a woman's eternity judged how she relates to her husband? That's not how God should be judging a woman. He should be judging her in, in accordance with her relationship with him and whether she has repented of her sins and whether she has followed the Lord 
Jesus Christ. It's all to do with her sin. But in Islam, her eternity is dependent on her husband. And it's quite troubling when you begin to look at this, this view of woman and, her, and um, her eternity is based on her husband. Then we have another story here where it talks about Allah's messenger said, a woman may not give a, a woman in marriage, nor may she give herself in marriage. For the immoral one is the woman who gives herself in marriage. And this was from Ibn Majah, who is an important part of Islamic tradition. That's from um, um, Al-Tarmidhi, um, hadith number 935. So a woman is not allowed to um, also um, ask for a divorce and also she's not allowed to put herself in marriage. And yet Muhammad had many women offering themselves to him in marriage. In fact, if you look at Surah 33, you'll see uh, a whole uh, Quranic verses that talk about women offering themselves to Muhammad and Allah allowed him to take them on if he so wished. Then Aisha, this is, this is a, a hadith that was, um, was uh, narrated by her. So when a Muslim says, oh, Aisha, uh, it, look how we revere Aisha because she narrates a lot of hadith. Take her to some hadith like this. I used to look down upon those ladies who had given themselves to Allah's apostle. Remember, this is the little child bride who's watching her husband um, and these women who are offering themselves to her husband. I used to look down um, on, on them when they gave themselves to Allah's apostle. And I used to say, can a lady give herself to a man? But when then Allah revealed, you, O Muhammad, can postpone whom you will and you may receive any of them whom you will. There is no blame on you if you invite one of whose turn you have set aside. So if he wants to set one wife aside and go with another one, he can. If he wants to take a woman offering themselves, he can. So, of course, um, Aisha is seeing this while Muhammad is offering uh, himself is having women offer themselves. Is that correct? And of course, Muhammad gets a revelation from God, Surah 33, verse 51, that seems to allow him to receive the women who are offering themselves. And then she said, I said to Muhammad, to the prophet, I feel that your Lord hastens to fulfill your desires. That's Aisha to her husband. This is Sahih Bukhari, volume six, book 60. I feel that your Lord Allah hastens to fulfill your wishes and desires. It would be a very very good study to take that, make that a title. I feel that your Lord, O Muhammad, hastens to fulfill your wishes and desires. And then write a list of all the convenient revelations that Muhammad received according to the Hadith um, in order to allow him to really act in sin. That's what he's doing. He's being immoral. He's being unfaithful to his wives by taking on new ones, by not treating them equally, by sleeping more with one than another. He's really going against his own Quran and the edicts in his own Quran. But he uses Allah to help him do that. So here's another um, hadith, Sahih al-Bukhari, volume 4, book 55. And it's talking about woman and um, the perfection or imperfections of a woman. And it says this, Allah's apostle uh, said, many amongst men have reached the level of perfection. This is opinion of Muhammad. But none amongst the women have reached this level except Aisha, Asya, and um, Pharaoh's wife, and also Mary, the daughter of Imran. I um, and no doubt the superiority of Aisha to women is like the su- su- superiority and there's a meat dish that they love in that part of the world. So it's apparently this meat dish is the favorite meat dish. So her superiority is like this wonderful meat um, and bread dish that they have and uh, they had in that time of the world. So Muhammad believes that many men have reached a level of perfection, but not very many women except about three or four, including Aisha.
That's from Sahih Bukhari, Volume 4. We go on. This is from Abu Dawood, Book 11. Book 11 seems to be quite an important book, but it says here, I went to Al-Hira and I saw the people bowing down, prostrating themselves before their satrap. So I said, the apostle of Allah has most right to have people bow down to him. When I came to the prophet, I went to Al-Hira and I saw them bowing down before their satrap. So he's reporting back what he saw. But you, apostle of Allah, have the most right to have people bow down to you. He said, Muhammad, he said, tell me, if you were to pass by my grave, would you bow down yourself before it? I said, no. He then said, do you um, do not do so? So he's saying, that's okay. Don't bow down to my grave. If I, and we've read this before in previous session, if I were to command anyone to bow down before another, I would command women to bow down themselves before their husbands. And because of the, because of the special right that a man has or a husband has over a woman. Very troubling when you see this kind of story. You almost don't need to explain it. You just need to let the text speak for itself. Now, just a word of caution. Try to make sure that this um, hadith, these hadith are accepted um, by the majority of jurists because, of course, a Muslim will throw them out. Now, I have used some of these hadith with Shia Muslim friends. And I say, well, Betty, we don't follow the Sunni Muslim Muslim. Um, hadith. So there's there's also sirah out there that are in the Shia um, hadith uh, um, sunnah. Excuse me, in this in the Shia sunnah and the uh, the Shia traditions where they have Muhammad saying some pretty derogatory statements towards women as well. So just make sure you have a list of both sunnah and Shia uh, 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 Sunni and Shia hadith on hand. Another hadith from Aisha. This is from Al Tirmidhi, uh, number 963, and it says this. Once when Allah's messenger was with a number of the emigrants, and this is how the Muslims were called in the early days, and the helpers, that's what they're called as well, a camel came and bowed down, uh, bowed down, bowed himself down. Thereupon his companion said, Messenger of Allah, beasts and trees bow down before you. But we have the greatest right to do so, we human beings. He replied, worship your Lord and honor your brother. And again, if I were to order anyone to bow down, I would order a woman to bow down to her husband. And this is interesting. This is quite sad. What do you make of this? He, If he, the husband, were to order the wife to convey stones from a yellow mountain to a black one, I don't quite know what that means, or from a black mountain to a yellow one, it would be incumbent upon her to do so. The idea that if her husband ordered her to do this thing that doesn't even make sense, carry uh, stones between mountains, she would have to do it. That's Muhammad's opinion of how a woman is supposed to obey a man. That's Al-Tirmidhi as well. So uh, we just go on. What about um, to there's a there's a, there's a, a women about women who have been abandoned, women who are barren. Let's look and see what um, Allah and Muhammad seem to think about women who can't have children. Um, it's quite sad some of the opinions that start coming um, coming out in these hadith. Again, Abu Dawood, Book 11, a man came to the prophet and said, I have found a woman of rank and beauty. So it's a beautiful woman that this Muslim man has seen and he wants to marry her. But she does not give birth to children, so she is barren. Should I marry her, he said. Uh, Muhammad said, no. He came to him, uh, he, he came to him, but Muhammad prohibited from marrying this woman. 
the bad came a third time because he really wanted to marry this woman. So he came a third time and the prophet Muhammad said, marry women who are loving and prolific for I shall outnumber the peoples by you. All sorts of very, very difficult scenarios going on in this hadith. Uh, She is abandoned and not married just because she can't have children. Muhammad seems is the one who gives the right. Can you see this superior chieftain who is ordering his people to marry and not to marry, who seems to have influence in every single area of their lives? Do you know, compare that to Jesus. Look at the kinds of commands Muhammad was demanding of his people and then compare it to how Jesus dealt with people. Jesus came to set the people free from their sin and their bondage. He ministered to people who humiliated, abandoned and ashamed, like the woman who had the issue of blood for many years. And he, he, he met with her and he healed her and power went out of his body physically to heal her and he reinstated her. That's how God views women who are abandoned, including the immoral women weeping on his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. That's how God values women and he dealt with their sinful issues and he brought about salvation and restoration. The man who is involved apparently with this book, with this, with the Quran, he orders the women around, the men around. He thinks women should bow down to husbands. He thinks that women should obey without question, even doing weird things. Do you see what kind of man that is the source of this book, Muhammad, versus the one who's the source of this book, the Lord Jesus Christ? Do a comparison between the way they interact with people. So again, Aisha, she she says another hadith. This is Sahih Bukhari, volume one, book nine. Uh, And you may have heard this uh, hadith before. The things which annul the prayers were mentioned before me, says Aisha. They said, prayer is annulled by a dog, a donkey, and a woman, if they pass in front of the praying people. I said, you have made us woman dogs. That's how she responds. I saw the prophet praying when, while I used to lie in my bed between him and the Qibla, the direction of prayer that Muslims pray towards, which Muslims say is Mecca, although we early um, historians, we are now finding through historical critique that all the earliest mosques actually point north towards Petra, towards Jordan, or at least not at least not to Mecca. They point elsewhere. It took a hundred years after the death of Muhammad for the first mosque to begin facing down towards Mecca. That's another topic for another day. However, here um, she's talking about the Qibla, the direction of prayer, which is now today is Mecca. And she said, whenever I was in need of something, I would slip away for I disliked to face him. Now, this was actually a a tradition, a saying among the people, not just of the Muslims. It it seemed to be a saying among the Arab people of the time. So in some hadith, it seems to imply that this was the, the ideas of the people they were around. But it also seems to be something in other hadith that the Muslims themselves also accommodated. Now, in Sahih Muslim, in book four, Um, Again, it it equates women to be like a a donkey. So the messenger of Allah said, when one of you stands for prayer and there is a thing before him equal to the back of the saddle that covers him. And in the case um, there, the case there is not before him equal to this. Okay, it gets very confusing. Don't worry about that bit. It's talking about the back of a saddle. Um, Again, we don't really understand what that means. But this is the bit that's important. His prayer would be cut off by an ass, a woman, and a black dog. I said, oh, Abu Dar, 
What feature is there in a black dog which distinguishes it from a red dog and a yellow dog? He said, O son of my brother, I asked the messenger of Allah as you are asking me. And he said, the black dog is a devil. But I thought, woo, saying the black dog is a devil, it's saying a woman is a devil, an ass is a devil, a donkey is a devil. Uh, does that mean that uh, uh, the reason a woman cuts off prayer because of the devil in her? Hold on to that thought. We will, um, we will address that in a minute. So again, the Messenger of Allah, Sahih Muslim, book four. Again, the Messenger of Allah said, a woman, an ass and a dog disrupts prayer. Sahih Bukhari, volume seven, book 62. Allah's apostle said, evil, an evil omen. Ah, an evil omen. So something that's a bit wicked and sinister and evil and scary is in the woman, the house and the horse. Sahih Bukhari, volume 7, book 62. We, we carry on. Messenger, the messenger said, I have not left after me anyone of more turmoil and more injurious or someone who causes injury to men than, and harm done to men than women. So it's the woman who causes harm to men. Sahih Muslim, book 36. Are you getting a picture now of what this, how this religion views women? How Muhammad viewed women, if Muhammad even said any of these things? And again, that's another side issue but we now uh, don't can't, cannot even be sure that any of these sayings came from a man called Muhammad we're not even sure if Muhammad has anything to do with Islam another topic for another day but for this for the sake of this session and for the sake of when we talk with Muslims we we are taking their their hadith and their sayings at face value and then um, and then we say if these hadiths are true how do you how are you a Muslim if these hadiths are true, how can you follow a man like this? You say he's perfect, the example for all mankind, the one that we should obey right through the Quran. How can I obey this? Help them think that through. There is another one. Ibn Majah uh, says, um, says this. Um, it is reported that Allah's messenger said, verily, and this is where women become a property. And do you remember in a previous session two, two ago that we talked about uh, where uh, a, a, a Muslim had written a whole paper online about Judeo-Christian women versus um, Islamic women. And it, it's fascinating because one of the challenges he and many Muslims make is that in the Bible, women are the property of men. That's just simply not true. Even in the Old Testament, that's not really the, the implication, even in the patriarchal times. It's a little bit more complicated than that. But in Islam, let's read what a woman is to a man. And Muhammad said, Verily, the world is a property, and nothing of the property of the world is better than a righteous woman. So it's a righteous woman that is the property of a, of a man. Uh, and then we go on. Uh, um, another another uh, hadith is reported to have said concerning the gold and silver about a gold and silver, a command or a verse of gold and silver. And it says, which property should we get? Umar said, I will inform you of it. Then he, he was riding on his camel. He reached the, the prophet uh, Muhammad. And, I, and, and then he said, then he said, Allah's messenger, which property shall we acquire? Upon this, he said, any one of you should possess a heart thankful to Allah, a tongue devoted to Allah, and a righteous wife helping any one of you in the matter of the hereafter. So it's the idea of the righteous wife becoming a possession. 
Now, here's some very interesting sayings. Um, this is uh, 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 narrated by Amir ibn Alas, and this is from Abu Dawood, again, book 11. Now, we're quoting from some of the same books because if you look at, um, the, when you look at the hadith, see Sahih Bihari and so on, it, there's whole books that are dedicated to uh, issues to do with women or marriage or divorce. So that's why it's coming from one particular book. So Sunan Abu Dawood, book 11. The prophet said, if one of you marries a woman or buys a slave, he should say, Oh Allah, I ask thee for the good in her and in the disposition thou hast given her. I take refuge in you to Allah. I take refuge in, in you from the evil that is in her and in the disposition you have given her. So he's praying to Allah to protect him from the evil in the woman and just her natural disposition that Allah gave her, which obviously is not a positive thing. When he buys a camel... He should take the top of the hump of the camel and say the same kind of thing. So here is a woman equated with a camel. I mean, it's somewhat humorous, but point it out. What does that say about a woman? Abu Dawood said, Abu Sayyid, adding the following words in his version. So, okay, there's different versions here. And this is what's the difficulty about Islamic tradition. Which version do you follow? But the fact that it's in different versions is intriguing. He said he should take a hold of, of her forelock, the woman's forelock, or the, no, the forelock of the camel or, and the forelock of the woman in the case of the woman or a slave. So the, the one version is you pray for the camel, um, protection against the camel as you pray protection against the woman. But in another, um, another version, you take the forelock, um, you take hold of the camel's forelock and pray for blessing, um, just like you take the forelock of a woman or a slave girl. What does that say about woman? And then this, again, it just continues. Um, so this is from Ibn Majah, volume three, reported um, apparently on the authority of Muhammad. So this is the Isnad, the oral link of, tr- of uh, oral tra- um, tradition that goes back to Muhammad. And um, apparently Muhammad said, when any of you benefits him with a woman, a servant or a cattle, so a cow, basically, he should seize the forehead and pray, O Allah, I beg of thee its good and the good of its natural disposition with which it has been created, and I seek refuge in you of its evil and of the disposition with which it has been created. Again, so it's talking about um, a, a woman, a servant, slave, or a cow, when you get one of those, you own one of those, then you pray against the evil and the disposition that is in that person. So I guess I'm like a cow, if you really take that literally. And again, this is in different sources. If it's in different sources, it starts to become a little bit more, ooh, it's really deep in Islamic tradition. Then what about the, the, the growing lack of freedoms and the lives of, of Muhammad, Muhammad's wives? Surah 33 talks about oh, wise prof, the wives of the prophet. Uh, Surah 33, 20, 32 to 33, stay in your houses, don't display your, your finery, remain in your houses, um, do not display your beauty as the women in the pre-Islamic period did. Now, all the things that we are reading in this session are from the Hadith, are from the sayings of Muhammad, from different uh, books that we, uh, just a sort of a, a little cross-section of different books of the Hadith of the sayings, from the authoritative sayings, and there are six authoritative books, and that's what we're looking at. But much of what you find in the Hadith, if your Muslim friend just throws it out, as some will, 
Folks, most of what we have read, whilst the details will not be in the Quran, you can find something similar in the Quran. You can find the seed of these ideas in the Quran. The Hadith, the Sirah, the, 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 the Islamic law really expands upon the ideas that are introduced in here. But you can at least find some of the seeds of the same thoughts in this book. So even if they throw this all out, which they shouldn't, but some do, especially when you begin to expose it, they will try to excuse it by saying it's not authoritative. So then just go back to the Quran. And we looked at a lot of verses um, that are troubling, again, especially for the Christian mind. And that's the way you need to respond to a Muslim. I, as a Christian, this is galling. As a Christian, this is appalling. Because I see how Jesus treated women. And then I look how Muhammad treated women. So just respond as a Christian. Show how appalling it is. Especially when you're in lands that you can freely speak about these things. Again, Sahih Bukhari, Volume 1, limits the freedom of women. The Prophet said, if your woman asks permission to go to the mosque at night, allow them. So they weren't free to do it in the daytime because their beauty might be on display. Uh, re- read this. One of the wives of Umar used to offer the prayers um, in the congregation of the mosque. She was asked why she had come out for prayer as she knew that Umar disliked it. And she replied, what prevents him from stopping me from doing this act? And the statement of Allah's apostle was, don't stop Allah's women slave or the slave women of Allah from going to the mosque. And this is especially at nighttime, they had the freedom. Um, but there's also hadith which talk about a woman shouldn't go to the mosque if she was beautiful. So if you're a beautiful woman, you stay inside. Again, it seems to be a, um, saying, seeing women in one light only, which is a sexual light. She had no freedoms if she was beautiful. And that, there's a story where a Muslim woman had become overweight and it called her fat and ugly, and she was free to go to the mosque. What does that say about what does that say about about? Islam, how it views women. Our value is not our external beauty. Our value is our relationship with God and who we are. We're made in the image of God. Sahih Bihari says, if your women ask permission, uh, um, excuse me, Sahih Bihari volume two um, is talking about, uh, 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 oh, um, let me move on, excuse me. So we're going to begin wrapping up. And here we have, again, a woman's whole destiny is dependent upon how she relates, uh, she relates to her husband. So Al-Tirmidhi says, any woman who dies when her husband is pleased with her will enter paradise. So her, the end goal, the end thing that will happen for her, she will go to paradise if the husband is pleased with her. It really should only be with what God wants of her. Just to point that out uh, with a with a Muslim, the woman who spends a night in the state in a state in which her husband is annoyed, and it talks about how a runaway slave, a woman who spends night in a state in which her husband is annoyed, and the leader of the people who they don't like, and it talks about again, um, it's a, it's a negative reaction to a woman who has got her husband angry. It's very very sad how this religion views woman, and we need to expose it. That's why we read the hadith. That's why we read the Quran. That's why we read all of the the, um, the biography of Muhammad, folks. All we've done in this session is opened up their hadith. We've just done a catalogue of hadith and read through a catalogue of hadith. And all you need to do is just expose it and then have a Christian response to it. Respond as a Christian. Be horrified by what you are reading. And if you're in a country where you need to be careful, if your Muslim friend, if you're reading this with your Muslim friend, you could just turn to your Muslim friend. How does that make you feel? If you're a woman, 
How, what does that make you feel? You can't maybe challenge, but you could certainly get them to think it through. We have to help our Muslim friends think through their religion and be critical of their own religion if we want to bring them to Christ.